Hey, Lisa, how you doing? Good. How are you, Brian? Very good. So you've been now editor at CHW officially for, what, two months? That's about right. And this is your first time on Health Call, so welcome. And Thank you. Happy to be here. I do want to give a shout out to Judy Vanderwater. She was the longtime editor of, of Catholic Health World, just retired. So, if Judy, if you're still listening, uh, again, congratulations on your retirement. But I think we're in good hands with Lisa now uh, heading up the editorial responsibilities for CHW. So, uh, Lisa, um, we're going to talk about a topic that appeared a couple of issues ago. But one, and we'll get into this in a moment, that um, I think is will be of interest from a couple of perspectives, both from a policy perspective and from uh, the services we provide around spiritual care. So are you ready to get started? I think so. Let's go. This is Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I'm your host, Brian Reardon. And as you just heard, we have with us in studio Lisa Eisenhower. She is editor of Catholic Health World. And Lisa, this topic is on Medicaid coverage for spiritual care. And I think um, the reason we wanted to talk more in depth about this topic is because, again, our, our advocacy on behalf of Medicaid and the work we do with our members on really strengthening spiritual care services. So you, I think, uh, we wrote a really in-depth piece on this, which I thought was was great, and that's why I wanted to bring you in and talk to you and the guests that I'm going to introduce in a moment. Uh, but what kind of attracted you this? I know there's a health affairs uh, article that was written. So give us a little bit of context about how this story came together. This story was actually assigned by my predecessor, Judy Vandewater, as you mentioned. She um, spotted it in health affairs and realized how well the proposal that Dennis and Sasha put forward in this article aligned with the mission of Catholic health care. Yeah. And I think, again, the coverage appeared, it was in the April issue of Catholic Health World. And you you not only talked to, to Dennis and Sasha, who are going to uh, have join us in a moment, but you also talked to a colleague from Trinity. Um, in your reporting on this, really kind of what was the main thing that stood out to you? I think what stood out to me was how they talk about how it's not just about addressing isolation, loneliness, but they talk about it as a health equity, a racial justice issue. Yep. And they also emphasize that spiritual care is not about proselytizing. Rather, it's about, it's an important part of holistic care. Yeah, the, the, our emotional and mental health well-being, which is something, again, fits into a lot of what we've been talking about with our members, uh, particularly over the last year. So, uh, Lisa, I'm going to bring you back at the very end of this discussion, just as, as part of the wrap-up. But let me now move to introducing the three guests uh, that were featured prominently in your coverage. And that would be, first, uh, Terry Anderson. She's mission leader, Trinity Health Pace and Trinity Health at Home. Welcome, Terry. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you today. And we also have with us the two co-authors of that health affairs article that we mentioned. We have Dennis Heafy. He's health justice advocate and researcher with the Massachusetts Disability Policy Consortium. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you. And we have Sasha Shank. She is senior research technician at Tufts University. Hi, Sasha. Hi, thank you for having me on. Well, let me start with Dennis and Sasha. Um, if you would, just provide some, again, we kind of jumped into this and we talked about Medicaid coverage for spiritual care, but really it's a lot more uh precise than that. And I think we probably need to start off with um, having you, if you would, recap the piece you wrote in Health Affairs, just to give our listeners kind of an overview of the policy change that you're uh, recommending. Sure. Um, it would be helpful for folks to understand that the CDC and CMS recognize spirituality as an important domain of health, and that having a healthy spiritual life is is important to one's health outcomes. Uh, there's a recent article in the Journal of, of the American Heart Association that talks about the importance of 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 um of cardio of spiritual care or spirit healthy spirituality 
for African-Americans. Um, and so it's something that we all recognize is important in the lives of people. And CMS already pays for uh, for services that 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 impact people's determinants health, whether it's housing, increasingly now there's housing they pay for. They they pay for for services that support folks to remain in housing. They pay for food. They pay for other aspects of 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 uh, of services that, that 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 are important to health care, even though they're not considered directly medical services. And so spiritual care is it would be a piece of that. And spiritual care is already being provided throughout the country, primarily in hospital settings, palliative care settings, hospice settings, or PACE programs that, that, that do provide as well. But until until 2021 or 2022, what there were there were no there were no codes to actually cover the provision of spiritual care to people. Um, actually it was this was done by CMS for folks and veteran for veterans. And so now that there's effort, now that we actually have codes, there's an opportunity to have those codes implemented and put in place um, within within Medicaid. And the reason why we started with dual eligibles is because there's a lot more flexibility in the care that can be provided to dual eligibles than there are to folks who are in straight Medicaid in the country. And that's why we started with this population. And then in addition to that, as a person with a disability that does research on and with people with disabilities, it's also important that we look at a population that disproport experiences disproportionately isolation and loneliness and look at what the role spiritual care can play in reducing isolation and loneliness in this population. I'll add that um, I come from a very different background than Dennis. So I, as it was said in the introduction, I am a research technician at Tufts University um, working in the lab, actually researching a rare disease called scleroderma, um, the most fatal rheumatic disease. And something that I really noticed, and Dennis and I have separately connected initially through a health policy course at Northeastern and then continued to collaborate onwards, something that I noticed actually in my research that also really highlighted the importance of um, a spiritual care aspect for healthcare is that in this disease that I study, scleroderma, it due to its rareness, um, there's really not many community kind of places for people to connect. And um, without that spiritual aspect, especially to do due to how debilitating this disease can be for patients, um, many uh, patients with scleroderma have actually independently formed scleroderma support groups um, all across the United States. And something that was extremely interesting to me um, and when Dennis and I really connected about this was that there are there's certainly a need there and people are kind of informally creating those spaces that a spiritual care aspect in the health system could also provide. Um, and there's sort of a vacuum there of connectivity, mutual support, speaking, you know, outside of the medical context and more in a, you know, spiritual, personal context that um, is not being provided for patients that I work with on a regular basis. And so they've created, you know, this separate entity. Um, and so I really do think that it represents that vacuum and also that need that's been shown um, that people are creating these systems because there is a shortcoming in the medical system right now. Yeah. And so by having direct reimbursement for, again, dual eligible pa patients that are uh, provided spiritual care services, 
uh, Sasha's the point that that policy change could then increase the availability of spiritual care uh, for these patients? Well, I think having the opportunity, um, I think, can give patients a chance to, within their medical context, include this spiritual care element. And this was only kind of one dimension that I'm sharing where I noticed that connectivity um, and, you know, reducing isolation and loneliness is so important for patients. Um, but beyond that, for patients with disabilities, as Dennis was sharing, um, you know, the spiritual aspect is sort of left behind and you're left when you are in the medical system with, um, you know, either needing to go outside of that or mm -hmm. simply suffering um, with, you know, increased rates of isolation, loneliness and depression. Yeah. And as folks who deal with Medicaid know, or with Medicare, if it doesn't have a code, it's not paid for. Yep. And so when when the when CMS finally okayed codes for for services provided by by chaplains to veterans, um, we saw that as an opportunity. Not that 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 means that that translates into payment necessarily, but it does translate into tracking of those services. And once those services begin to be tracked, and we can understand the level of service that are being provided then there's opportunity to engage in conversation about payment for those services. And we know that, that, that there are programs in the community that already pay for and cover spiritual care, including PACE and other, and other programs. And they have to do a lot of work, they have to do a lot of workarounds to actually pay for the care. So it's through a lot through grants, a lot through uh, bundle payments, um, just a lot of workarounds that are really unnecessary and make it difficult for health providers to deliver spiritual care through chaplaincy services in the community, as well as as, as opposed to in a hospital setting. Um, and so so for us, we think there's a tremendous opportunity here to say, let's look at the duals population, and particularly folks who might be nursing home eligible or at high risk of um, institutionalization in general, and provide spiritual care and put codes in place so we can actually track um, the impact of spiritual care on the lives of these folks and look at and look at that impact over time and and pay for those services because we know we know that spiritual care is important in the lives of people and we know that and we know that that the research is there's a there's enough research that shows out there that that having a healthy spirituality that having spiritual interventions having a um having a um, a spiritual practice actually improves people's health outcomes and their overall quality of life. And Sasha, if, if I could follow up on that, Terry, I, I do want to um, bring the conversation to you. Um, you did uh, mention in the article that um, by having those codes, there's some really valuable data that um, someone like you as a researcher could look at and, and be able to get a better sense of health outcomes and how spiritual care contributes to better outcomes. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that... As Dennis stated, there is programs that exist, but I think what is lacking is a consistent infrastructure. And so, you know, you could go into, there are, of course, so many different organizations, external, you know, outside Medicaid or community-based organizations that are doing this work. But without the data, it's very hard to justify, um, one, you know, spending money on it, which, of course, is... Um, there's so many different resources that are competing for um, things that when you want to implement um, 
you know, a novel program, it's really important that you have that justification. Um, and also, yes, coming from a research background, if you can really contextualize beyond, you know, it's really important that you bring together all of these pieces to sort of, you know, it's not just that you are seeking to have a more whole um, care team. It's that you are those the knock on effects of that can become measurable, you know, of lower incidence of isolation, depression, fewer health disparities, um, you know, reduction in health costs due to better health outcomes. And it's really important to actually to be able to say those that you have the data um, and the tracking that's backing that up. And so I think that that's the hugely important justification, um, as Dennis shared, um, to kind of make sure that the infrastructure that is tracking these things is very robust and thorough to ensure that um you know long-term progress can be measured and beyond beyond that i think it's important to say it's the right thing to do no definitely that definitely that that people are and speak specifically to folks with disabilities are really medicalized don't necessarily view themselves as people view themselves as patients and lack meaning in life and and that lacking of meaning in life is something that that Healthcare providers can't give or necessarily give. They don't have the training. They don't have the skills. But that spiritual care providers can really support folks in their in their in their journeys to develop meaning in life and understand you know their value and their purpose. And they do that because they're the only person on the care team that that isn't that that does that's comp, that's totally confidential. That whatever the person shares. They share with that with that with that chaplain in confidence, and that that yep. chaplain can provide a listening ear that others on the care team are not are not trained to provide, and provide a perspective that others on the care team are not trained to provide. And so, yep. it's really it's it's the right thing to do. We're spending a lot of money on a variety of services, and this is one that that we feel it's time has come to really to implement. Yep. Um, Perhaps piloting, um, piloting it through DSNPs or through um, PACE programs, but to find a way to provide these services is is vitally important because because people, we we we, we the data shows that people are isolated, they're lonely, they're lacking in meaning. And spiritual care is a way to is a way to address that unmet need. Yeah, and we heard from the Surgeon General just a couple of months ago about the exactly. uh, epidemic of of isolation and loneliness. Uh, let me bring in Terry now. Uh, again, uh, Terry Anderson is with Trinity. She works uh, with the Pace and their Health at Home. So, uh, Terry, I guess the question to you is: if, is you've heard uh, Dennis and Sasha provide an overview of what they wrote in Health Affairs, uh, you contributed to the article from sort of an on the ground perspective. Uh, why would this policy change? Uh, why, why is it so important uh, from your perspective? No, thanks so much for inviting me to be part of the conversation. Um, from the perspective of PACE, I, I think to the point that both Dennis and Sasha had mentioned, you know, there's incredible value and I think a richness in terms of even being able to look at, if we could, you know, HIPAA-protected ways, some of the data that's available already, looking, for example, at Trinity Health PACE nationally in our organization, um, I served as a chaplain for 10 years before becoming the mission leader nationally for our PACE programs. And um, spiritual care is something that we are really believe in as part of holistic care. 
and are really attuned into the limitations and, and challenges for our participants who may um, struggle with with isolation. Yeah. Um, on the ground, you know, some of the things that we do, it was mentioned, you know, Sasha mentioned to find support groups perhaps separate from medical care, where Dennis talking about the importance of spiritual care in the medical setting. In PACE, our chaplains who are with our programs, and they're, you know, trained chaplains, they have masters in um, theology or pastoral ministry or divinity, additional units. We, we want all of our chaplains to be board certified. Um, but at least have accomplished um, a couple of units of clinical pastoral education, which is the formal professional training before they're working in the PACE setting. But they're journeying along with our participants in our programs and also the interdisciplinary team in partnership. And I think one of the things, you know, Dennis mentioned, those who may be struggling with disability or isolation may be identified through the course of their life as patients and really lack a sense of meaning mm. and agency. And, you know, we call all of our individuals who are in our program our participants because we're really working towards shared decision-making. So when we're looking at together individual participants, perhaps their family members, the care team, the chaplain, looking at the challenges um, not just from a medical perspective and not over medicalizing issues, challenges, and problems, but looking at the psycho, the psychosocial, the, the biological, and also the spiritual issues that provide the complexity of what the person might be experiencing or going through yep. in their experience of illness and aging. Yeah. And if so, I could just build on what Terry was saying. Go ahead, Dennis. I was actually on my way to becoming a. Uh, Certified um, supervisor, uh, HCP supervisor. Um, when I went to public health route, and for me, what what I find missing in public health is a spiritual dimension, and that recognition of everything that Terry was saying, of you know trauma informed care, recognizing that the many the multi dimensions of, of what it means to be a person, and that if we only treat people as a as as a medical outcome, and we only treat their they're presenting diagnoses and don't really treat the whole person and look at all these other dimensions to what it, of, of an individual's life. And it may be that that the person's been harmed by a faith community or they or they had a deep spirituality and they've lost it um, over the course of years because of other illness or or bad experiences with with faith communities. That the chaplains can can provide some spiritual healing or support spiritual healing for folks um as they're going as they're going through whatever it is uh within the medical system and so and so it's it's really about a holistic way of of providing care and right now you know um bill gaventa says you can't have spirit you can't have whole person care without having spiritual care completely yeah completely agree and that's and so what we're asking for is an assurance is that that people who desire it can have a spiritual care plan as part of their care planning process. No, and I think uh, all of your comments really underscore what we talk about all the time in, in Catholic healthcare is, you know, that union of body, mind, and spirit and, and whole person care. So uh, really good conversation. Before we wrap up, I do want to uh, bring Lisa back in and see if she has any final thoughts or maybe a, a quick question for all of you. I wanted to say thanks very much to all the insight you, all three of you shared. And I guess my only comment was that you really started a rich conversation, and I hope it continues. I hope your article is widely read and that you know it, it, it brings this issue to the forefront and, and brings about change. 
Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thanks, Lisa. Uh, Thank you, Terry Anderson. Again, she's mission leader with Trinity Health Pace and Trinity Health at Home. We also want to thank Dennis Heafy from the Health Justice Advocate and Researcher with the Massachusetts Disability Policy Consortium and Sasha Shank. She's a senior research technician with Tufts University. Thanks to all of you for joining us for this conversation and for your contributions to the article, which again, you can read in the April issue of Catholic Health World. You can find that on our website at chausa.org. And that's also where you can find episodes of Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. As always, I'm your host, Brian Reardon. I'm joined by Josh Matica, our producer. And Health Calls is engineered by Brian Hartman at Clayton Studios just outside of St. Louis. Thanks for listening.